Welcome, I am Leanne Krawczyk. And I'm Robin Long. And together, we are your hosts for the Get the Dirt in Mining, a podcast series brought to you by the Denton's Mining Group. This podcast series covers various topics in the mining sector and aims to provide you with small segments that you can listen to on the go. You can find our episodes at www.dentons.com on our podcast page. There, you can access our episodes as well as an episode description for each topic and information on our speakers. And now, over to our podcast topic and speakers. In today's episode, I'm here with Brandon Ersiegler, who will be providing his perspective on recent trends and developments in mining from Africa. Brandon is a corporate partner in Denton's Johannesburg office and the head of the mining practice for Denton's Africa. He possesses broad M&A and other commercial experience across a variety of industries and asset types. In addition to his general corporate experience, Brandon also has extensive knowledge of the global mining industry, having worked for Anglo-American as senior in-house commercial counsel in London and South Africa, where he headed the commercial and litigation teams. His experience in the mining industry includes acquisitions of mining rights, environmental permitting, and mine construction, as well as jurisdiction-specific citizen-state equity participation laws. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I'd like to focus on um, three jurisdictions, um, and then I'd like to highlight a, an outlier that I think needs some attention, but I think we'll get to that in the Q&A. The first major jurisdiction, and I think it's largely driven by the, the copper price that I would, I would like to, to examine, is Zambia. Uh, and, and my question to everybody is, is this the new gold rush? And speaking to clients and speaking to potential investors, there's sort of a seesawing uh, back and forth view on whether Zambia is attractive or whether it isn't. And I thought it would be useful just to lay out my opinions on this, um, because I think it is an attractive investment, but one must take care and be very aware, especially of the tax regime and of the sovereign debt uh, crisis and default and what the impact of that could be. So if we, if we examine Zambia, absolutely in its favor, it's a democracy. It has stable rule of law. It has a decent mining code and it has a skilled and productive workforce. Uh, all of that speaks to um, a great destination in Africa for mining. And at the moment, of course, it has, uh, it's having a moment in the spotlight because of the copper price. I think the first issue I'd like to talk about is, is the tax regime. Now, interestingly, the tax is structured or, or royalty more correctly is structured in terms of a step plan. And the higher the price of copper internationally measured in tons uh, rises, the more royalties are paid. The other area to note is unlike other jurisdictions um, such as Namibia and Zimbabwe and I think Botswana, royalty payments are not deductible against uh, general income tax uh, that mining companies pay so they, they it's it's a it's a on top of and that's something i think in a due diligence investors would, would need to understand i hear that there are a lot of big names in zambia who are either in trouble 
or who uh, have left. And I thought it would be useful to, to look at those two instances. And uh, I think what I'd like to say here is this is not necessarily reflective of the general Zambian um, mining business environment. Concola copper mines in Vedanta are in dispute. I think that's well known. Uh, the heart of that dispute is the um, alleged failure of Concola to follow um, its obligations in terms of funding. This is a commercial dispute, and I don't think it goes to the nature or the jurisdiction of Zambia. In fact, Zambia has been quite careful with its courts to rely on the arbitration, which is happening in Johannesburg at the moment. The second is Mapani and Glencore's um, exit from Mopani. Um, I think having spoken to my colleagues, having spoken to, to people in the know in Zambia, the idea behind that is to warehouse those shares and at a certain time, um, we reissue them uh, to the market again. That was not, and just to end a, you know, a kind of a misconception, a nationalization. Uh, by any means. Um, as is well known in the marketplace, Glencore uh, has an off-take arrangement on whoever will continue to run Mopani, and they uh, have structured their commercial arrangements accordingly. The last issue to, to highlight is the effect of the, the sovereign debt crisis and Zambia's default. And the impact for that of miners is, of course, the revenue generative desire of the government um, to, to pay off foreign debt and, and concerns around tax. I am of the view, and I, I dearly hope I'm proved right, that Zambia will not take a short-term view on mining, which it knows very well, having for its the majority of its independence been a mining jurisdiction. And I know that the IMF is involved in, in a bailout. So I would not, again, necessarily overweight that concern. The next uh, jurisdiction that is, I think, receiving some green shoots of inquiry to talk about uh, is Zimbabwe. Interestingly, business confidence is rising. The government is following a, a stabilization plan. Spending is under control. And for the first time in almost 20 years, there, there's some confident talk coming out of Zimbabwe. As a mining jurisdiction, putting aside the macroeconomics, um, it's fascinating. We all know PGMs are having their moment. Uh, they are a fantastic investment, and in terms of new technology, I think are, are going, to, going to lead the way. After the Marinsky Reef in South Africa, the Great Dyke in Zimbabwe is equal to, or perhaps even greater, in terms of yield and size uh, for PGMs and Chrome. And companies that have moved in there in the last three or four years are reporting excellent results. Anglo-Americans Unki Mine, which has been operating for quite a while there very successfully, um, is doing very well, as is Teresa and a few others. And so I think to investors looking to get into PGMs, 
in a sort of from a ground level, Zimbabwe certainly poses some attractive investment. Of course, its track record in the last 15, 10 years speaks against it. But I have a, it, it looks to me uh, for the first time, a lot of naysayers are beginning to, to prick up their ears and be quite interested in it. The other fantastic uh, aspect to Zimbabwe is the skill and experience of uh, local workers there. It is um, quite remarkable. Next, I would like to talk or highlight Namibia. And this is often an overlooked jurisdiction. It's not particularly known for anything other than diamonds and uranium. But it is richly endowed. It is stable. It is a democracy. It has good infrastructure. And it is well served by infrastructure, electricity, rail, etc. I think it should get uh, more play, and it would, of course, depend on the uh, mineral that you're looking for. But we are seeing a lot of prospecting activity there. Lastly, I, I'd like to talk about my, my, my own jurisdiction, um, where I'm based at the moment, which is South Africa. And I think the, the, the question on, on so many people's minds is, will South Africa ever get it right? And that's an excellent question. It there are two mining industries in South Africa. There are the very large, excellent life of mine, uh, well-managed uh, operations, largely Anglo-American, South 32, that have been established for 20 years. They have a uh, excellent ESG record and have negotiated the um, fairly choppy waters around the regulations that have changed well. The people who have not fared well, investors who have not fared well in South Africa in the main are startups and prospectors. And what I'm incredibly encouraged by recently is uh, the conversations between the mining industry represented by the uh, Minerals Council and the regulator and a can-do spirit to solve the nuts and bolts of the issues in South Africa and to move the conversation away from the abstract and perhaps the political and into the realm of the day-to-day. -day. I know that a presentation is being made to various stakeholders having received sign-off on flow-through shares, looking at the Canadian process and a way in which particularly prospecting activities and rights can be streamlined and de dealt with in sequence when dealing with um, regulators, environmental, mining, etc. And a great deal of energy has gone into that. So I hope if I'm fortunate enough to speak to you next year, I will be able to, to report some success. Thanks, Brandon. What do you see as the typical errors, mistake, and mistakes when investing in Africa? I think the first one is to, to talk about Africa. Um, Africa is made up of many jurisdictions, um, increasingly more democratic. Uh, this idea of, uh, you know, leader for life is, has moved away quite dramatically, and regular, uh, regular uh, elections are, are held. 
I think the the second um, biggest error after making general assumptions about Africa is a is a failure of stewardship. Um, and the idea that you can run an operation in Africa uh, from Johannesburg or Toronto or London successfully, that that simply, I think, uh, in multiple occasions has been uh, demonstrated as just just not effective. Uh, I think, and I'm not going to go into too much detail on ESG because we do have another panel on that, and I think people will speak to it far more um, eloquently than I will. But a key failure in Africa is to overpromise and underdeliver. Um, and, and that is something I, I would caution investors against doing. I think one of the hardest things in ESG is to not overpromise and to most importantly manage community and um, political expectations. I think leading on with my query about where operations are managed from day to day in particular is the notion of ESG reporting. Um, the people who tend to review ESG reports are often more comfortable with figures, uh, engineers and, and, and mine um, and accountants. And the manner in which community relations are reported, relations with government are reported, should have a more direct um, line straight into, into, I think, the boardroom. On a more pragmatic uh, level, I think investors in various African jurisdictions overlook the challenges of infrastructure, freight, rail, road, electricity, access to water. Um, these cannot be given, uh, cannot be taken as given, and very often assurances from host countries that they will all be in place must be treated with a healthy dose of skepticism. I think, again, because we are moving um, to a more democratic environment with regular um, elections, I would also caution against a, a mistake I've seen where a major investor believes that it has sorted everything out on the political level by dealing with the minister um, or, or senior politicians uh, and believes that therefore the, the, the project is, is um, anointed and, and uh, absolutely can't go wrong. Instead of realizing that the local politicians are equally important and need to be heard. And, the, and to some extent, the downside of democracy is that unhappy voters get rid of the governments and unhappy voters can be unhappy community members. So this idea of fixing something at a high level, it, it just, it, it doesn't work uh, that way anymore, if in fact it ever worked that way. I think another error that I see happening again and again from um, non-African investors into Africa 
and this happens across the board by investors and lawyers and um, accountants and you know all the the people in the paraphernalia that go with the direct investment is to underestimate uh, African regulators, laws, courts, and the professional services that are provided, and to sort of drop a structure from a helicopter onto onto site, and that that goes for deal structure, local participation in, in equity, and and things of that nature. If you are in it for the long term, if you have a life of mine of 30 years, make sure that your agreements, your undertakings, your prospectuses align with local law. Because in the first instance, that is where your, your claim or case often is heard. Finally, um, I think that many investors overplay this regulatory uncertainty uh, of, of of Africa, uh, all countries change their tax taxation. If it is essential to the ROI of the project that tax stays at a certain level, have a negotiation around uh, tax stabilization clauses. But especially the private equity industry, um, I think overplays uh, the, the um, regulatory risks and changes, especially if I look at other jurisdictions. I also think, and I've come across a number of investors uh, who at the first sign of an adverse change and, and a fairly minor one, start overplaying the hand and saying that this would make uh, the investment unbankable or the ROI is no longer sufficient. And this often happens when the mineral that's being mined is actually at, at the peak of a, a, a sale price. And I don't think that behavior does anyone any favors. It's, um, I think, far better to have a, a grown-up discussion and, and see what can be done. I think that is it from the, uh, the behavior of investors. And I, I would just like to finish this discussion by saying that there are some fantastic examples of sensible investment in South Africa, uh, sorry, into Africa um, that are achieving excellent results at the moment and importantly are, are seen as as, as responsible um, corporate citizens slash investors in those communities and they yield the benefits as a result of that. Denton's is a global law firm that provides services to clients worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode isn't designed to provide legal or other advice and you shouldn't take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Our speakers on this podcast or any other professionals in our group would be pleased to speak with you on today's topic or any other related topics. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for other episodes.